the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Welcome to the show, my friends, uh, on this beautiful Saturday, February 11th, 2023. It's rodeo time in San Antonio, and everybody's decked out in boots and hats. I mean, it doesn't take very much to wear boots and hats in Texas as it is, but this is, um, this, this is a festive time here in, here in San Antonio. You know what's really, really odd are the number of woke professors uh, who are uh, adamantly trying to get rid of the tradition, of the cowboy tradition, because they claim that it is colonialism, that it is a symbol of racism, of conquest. You know, these people need to grow up. These people need to, or, or tell you what, they need to attend a Tejano dance where all the Hispanics, Mexicans, whatever you want to call them, they're all decked out in cowboy hats and boots. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever been to Monterrey or to... Uh, 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 oh, what's the other one? Saltillo or any of these places. Uh, you know, you see, that's how they dress. Cowboy hats and boots, my friends. In fact, a lot of boots, a lot of nice boots are made in Mexico. So, uh, I mean, you know, the best thing to do with these leftists uh, when they're not getting in your way is just to ignore them. Uh, just to just to ignore them. Anyway, welcome to the show, my friends. Let me tell you who we've got because uh, we, we're going to jump right into the into the program. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. John uh, Zdrozny, who is Deputy uh, Director of Investigations in the America First Legal Foundation in D.C. Uh, John uh, has become a real good friend of mine. He is also a former Trump advisor, worked in the Trump White House. Uh, he is uh, He's going to be chatting with us about um, his... Uh, Perceptions, his opinion on what uh, what uh, President Biden said last uh, Tuesday. Uh, we also have uh, we also have Mr. Chris Hayek, who is the deputy, who is the director of litigation at the America, uh, excuse me, at the Immigration Reform Law Institute, also in Washington D.C. Chris is going to be chatting with us. Uh, again, uh, giving his view about uh, what he heard from the president on uh, on Tuesday, but more so, he's going to be chatting about the important litigation that is going on against the Biden administration because of this uh, 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 this uh, open border, this border crisis that they have created. You're going to want to hear what Chris has got to say. We also have uh, another very good friend of mine, Sheriff uh, Thad Cleveland. Sheriff Cleveland is the sheriff of Terrell County, Texas, which is just west of Del Rio, on the border, a huge county, the third largest county uh, in in uh, in Texas, and uh, it has twenty three hundred square miles and a population of less than a thousand. So I mean, it's sparsely, sparsely uh, uh, populated. But the uh, cartels and the illegal immigration is taking its toll in that community. So you're going to want to hear from. Uh, from from Sheriff Cleveland. Our final guest, and this one's going to be a real, real one, a real one that you're going to want to listen to, a real heavy one, uh, Idelfonso Ortiz, who is a reporter with Breitbart. He recently did an article about the Mexican cartels, um, the Mexican cartel style of violence that is now uh, pouring into California, uh, particularly in the marijuana growing fields. Now, 
uh, again, the influence of the cartels is going to be felt and was going to be felt, and it's being felt. And folks, you're going to listen to this because this is a sinister part, a very, very sinister part of the uh, uh, of the border crisis. So without further ado, let's go to our first guest, John Sadrosny. Welcome to the show, my friends. Thank you for being with us. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. John Zadrozny, Deputy Director of Investigations at America First Legal in Washington, D.C. And I wanted to reach out to him because, well, he's a regular guest, and I want to get his view on the State of the Union address that President Biden gave on uh, Tuesday night. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Give us your impression. Give us your thoughts on uh, what uh, President Biden said in the State of the Union. Well, George, thank you for having me on, as always. Uh, You know, the the State of Joe Biden Crime Family uh, Union is senile and dangerous. And um, every American who could who could get through that speech last night in its entirety is probably more frightened than they were before he gave the speech. I mean, it's just, to me, it just shows what happens when you are on the wrong side of issues, when you're letting bad things happen, and when you're not constrained by the truth. You get what you saw last night. Um, you know, he didn't address the major issues that are the most important. The rampant illegal immigration that's been caused by his administration intentionally, by the way. Um, he sort of did a rah-rah on economy and pride without mentioning the details. In fact, how his government is instrumental in damaging the economy, including attacking small businesses and entrepreneurs and independent contractors. And, uh, you know, you can, you can just throw, uh, you know, platitudes out all you want, but that doesn't change the reality of what's going on in the country and how most Americans are suffering. Well, you know, what was fascinating to me is that with this past week, uh, the past 10 days, in the past 10 days prior to his speech, number one, of course, we've had that Chinese spy balloon that went over that was not shot until the last, until it, I guess, gathered all its information. And then there's also the situation of an Iranian on a terrorist list getting picked up here in Del Rio, Texas, uh, as well as the whole issue of... Uh, the uh, economy supposedly doing very, very well. But, I mean, I remember when gasoline was half the price that it is now. So all of those things, I'm not sure, you know, how people that are really uh, in tune really felt about what he said. Yeah, it's, it's a good question, George. I mean, I think the reality is anyone who works for a living and doesn't live in the D.C. Uh, blast radius bubble uh, is probably not thrilled with what's going on in their lives economically and sees the real fallout from it. Like, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who literally – I'm not kidding, George. Literally, they're, they're looking into buying chickens because they refuse to pay $10 for a dozen eggs anymore. That has doubled in the last – I don't know, two years. Uh, and when you start talking to people about what's really happening, they can say all they want about the jobs, like any minor growth in the unemployment number or reduction in the unemployment number here and there. The reality is inflation is still over 7%, which means that even if you are getting a raise or you do have a job, the, the money you're making is worth less than it was two years ago by a lot. And if that trend continues, we're not going to quite be in you know Weimar Republic territory, but it's still going to be ugly, and the value of the dollar will undergo a generational permanent change that probably could not be reversed even with a good fix today. So um, they're really just ignoring all of these problems, and they're pretending nobody notices. You know, they, I'm sure they missed the days when they only had to deal with CBS, NBC, ABC, and CNN. Now they have to deal with actual news sources that are pointing out the issues and disagreeing with them on a daily basis, and they don't know how to handle it. Well, you know, the, the getting to the issue of immigration, which is what we usually talk about, uh, I mean, how can he uh, ignore the amount of illegal immigration that has entered, not to mention the fentanyl that has entered our country? I, I, was, I was just flabbergasted that, um, you know, he actually tried to put a, a, a positive spin on, uh, on the border issue. What are your thoughts on on on, on where we're going with his um, with his new plans? Well, so it's it's important. I say this all the time, George. I apologize. I'm sure your audience is sick of hearing this, but it needs to be repeated over and over again. This is not some sort of Keystone Cops 
bumbling and fumbling at the border. This is a policy. They have a policy of ensuring as many illegal aliens enter the country as possible so that Joe Biden can give them an amnesty and get them to vote for him. In fact, what worries me, actually, George, is not even that they need to get an amnesty. Right now, we know uh, voter fraud is substantial. And in any state where there's a Democratic governor, they're probably letting illegals vote. And I hope someone in those respective states are looking at that problem right now. Um, but this is a policy of theirs. And whatever plan he's got for the border, we all know it's garbage because it's. A, you're not going to propose a policy to undo your policy. Um, so anything that uh, he said last night really is sort of irrelevant. I'd also like the audience to know they, he can say all he wants about fentanyl, but the reality is it is the flow, it is the open border and the flow of illegal immigration that is the reason hundreds of thousands of people's children are dead because the fentanyl is part of the immigration process. you got to look at the cartel as like a, a diversified global corporation, George. Like They are corporations with loads of money, more money than probably some of the state and local law enforcement jurisdictions that they're fighting against. Uh, and they have a diversified portfolio, right? They've got guns, they've got money, they've got people, they've got drugs. And so like they have a, a, a business model that has a bunch of different commodities that they're pushing across the border. And so they've turned it, in some ways I, I you know, admire is the wrong word, but they have really done a good job of maximizing their efforts. They know full well this government is basically standing down at the border. They know that they are letting illegals in. They are using the influx of illegal aliens not only to transport the fentanyl into the, into the country that's killing your children, but to allow for diversions that let even more fentanyl come in on the backside. For example, one thing we learned in Arizona recently, George, was that the guys who were there – by the way, they weren't federal. It was the state and local law enforcement guys. They were saying, look – the cartels know exactly how the federal government operates here. They know the Border Patrol is basically just making burritos and changing diapers. They're not They're not doing any law enforcement. They'll pick people up and they'll take them to this station. They'll process them. They'll hand them off to an NGO for dispersal around the country. The cartels know that's going to happen, let's say, at like 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. They'll put a bunch of illegals over the border with no drugs on them. The Border Patrol will come pick them up taken back to the station and process. Once that happens, the cartel knows the Border Patrol won't be back for about 24 hours. That is when the real fentanyl load comes over. And, you know, this is known. This is a known practice. This is an open secret on the border. The Biden administration can tell you they're trying to stop fentanyl. They're not. They don't want to upset the cartels. They're probably getting money from the cartels on the back end somehow. Um, and it makes me concerned that people who think you can solve one without solving the other are just kidding themselves. I, I couldn't agree more. Then there's this issue, this recent uh, policy that was uh, put forward by the Biden administration where they are uh, declaring that uh, they have defeated or they have overcome the illegal alien numbers when in actuality all they're doing is uh, processing them on the other side using that uh, phrase processing I'm not exactly sure what that means uh, I mean when when are we going to when are we are, 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 do you think this new uh, Congress is going to uh, stand up and and uh, get to the bottom of how uh, they are allowing people uh, to to come in and claim that they are doing it legally. Well, the, the short answer, George, is that they've been processing, quote unquote, all along. Their goal has never been to stop or deter or deport. Their goal has always been to accommodate and allow access. All they're doing now is they're just pretending they're not having an issue, right? It's, it's amazing what happens when you just don't pay attention to something, you can report different numbers. So that gimmicky plan that Joe Biden introduced, the first time he went to the border was to basically announce an amnesty in January. Uh, he, he basically said, well, we're going to be making it easier for illegal aliens from other countries to come over here, um, not harder. And part of that is just not counting and doing a poor job of tracking people in the field, right? If you don't track people in the field, if you don't have any encounters, you can say, look, our numbers are down. <laughs> we're doing great. True. Uh, and I, that's exactly what's going to happen. So uh, this whole thing is a travesty, George. The reality is we have an administration that um, this, I can't say for the first time, but in an exaggerated, definitely in terms of volume and, and approach, has uh, undergone, undertaken a full assault on the American people, the safety, security and prosperity of the American people. And you're seeing it at the border. Boy, I cannot, I couldn't agree more with uh, terrorists and balloons. And I mean, it, it isn't, I, I, you know, how can we feel safer? How can you honestly say, say that you feel safer under this administration? It, it's, it's I, I, I think there are a lot of people who, you know, that, what worries me, George, is that there are a lot of people, they don't live within a mile of, um, you know, the border. They don't live in Sierra Vista, Arizona. They don't live in Del Rio, Texas. They live in the middle of the country. And the, the problem of immigration hasn't hit them. It's the same way that um, 
economic pain maybe hasn't quite hit them, right? Yeah. Um, what worries me is that this administration just will not stop until, you know, the, be- the beatings will continue until morale improves. And I think what I'm worried about is they are going to keep dismantling the economy. They are going to keep allowing illegal immigration to flood into the country. And I don't know if um, enough people will realize this in advance of the 2024 elections. I mean, I think the current Congress is going to do a good job. I have faith that they're going to be opening some doors that obviously the previous leftist Congress had no intention of opening. Um, I think they're doing well so far. It is early. Um, my understanding is that Mayorkas is going to be removed from office, whether they like it or not. So we're going to get there soon enough. Uh, and uh, let's let's give them time and see what can happen. But we have to keep up the drumbeat of the damage this administration is causing on every front. I, get, I, I couldn't agree more. John, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us and help us to analyze what we heard in the uh, uh, in the State of the Union address. Thank you very, very much. Folks, we've been speaking with our good friend John Zadrozny, Deputy Director of Investigations at America First Legal in D.C. John, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, George. God bless. Take care. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Chris Hayek from uh, the Immigration Reform Law Institute early in Washington, D.C. I wanted to get him on uh, because uh, I want to get his take, first of all, on the uh, uh, State of the Union address and then also um, ask him to give us an update of what um, critical legal issues are coming down the pike regarding the border crisis and illegal immigration. Chris, thank you for taking time to be with us. Talk to us. First of all, tell us uh, your thoughts about the uh, State of the Union. Well, he was uh, uh, a little, you know, more than a little bit deceptive in, in most of it in his brief little section on the border and uh, immigration. Uh, he said, for example, that, uh, and this is really the big one, since we launched our new border plans last month, unlawful migration from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela has come down 97%. Uh, in fact, uh, it's still going on. What he did, what that plan does is people in other countries from these countries sign up on an app before coming to the United States. And if they get uh, and they get pre-approved, then they go to ports of entry, which are places for legal entry. And they go through and they're immediately given parole into the country. So it's the same number same people it's just he's uh invented this pathway for them to get in the country and it's also illegal because it's illegal to use parole uh on a group basis like that it's supposed to be on a case-by-case basis this is this is in the law uh for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit and here they're just saying well you're from you know and it, it obviously should be something about the individual person that makes letting them in uh, of, of significant public benefit, uh, like they're a great cellist or they're a great baseball player or something, and uh, or or they have some skill that's important to some industry, something like that. Not oh, you're you're from uh, Nicaragua and uh, you, you've seen not to have a criminal record or COVID nineteen, uh, so you know we need you here. That. That, that's not individual. That's just uh, him uh, trying to create uh, a new visa category, which which only Congress can do. So so that that was the most deceptive thing in there. Uh, those numbers are just uh, uh, do not reflect reality, uh, to say the least. <laughs> the the other the other issue again is um, how. Uh, little he did speak about uh, uh, catching people, deporting people, uh, jailing people. I mean, uh, in the same time, at the same time that he is was was speaking a, a few days earlier, they had caught uh, an illegal alien from Iran who was on the terrorist list. So I don't know, you know, how we can actually say that we feel safer. No, and he he, he systematically and immediately dismantled all the Trump programs that without Congress had, uh, without the cooperation of Congress had, uh, very close to secured the border. He's, he just started taking them apart. And, uh, 
the one that still remains is uh, which which uh, my group sued over uh, representing Texas. What is uh, the, the Title Forty Two expulsions? They're still going on. They're hanging by a thread. The Supreme Court uh, suspended or delayed an injunction by a, a radical DC district court that it, that it, uh, enjoined the program. And uh, so while the Supreme Court is deliberating about an issue in that case, the, the program goes on. Uh, so it's still there. Um, and uh, I mean, if, but, but if you're going to uh, dismantle all the programs that Trump built up to secure the border, it's going to, it, it's going to result in a flood. And uh, that's what happened. And now he can, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's absurd for him to take credit for uh fixing the problem when uh, A, it's not being fixed and uh, will probably get worse, and uh, B, he deliberately created the problem. Yeah. It was what, already fixed. What about the issue uh, you know, since we've got this situation going on, which you know, him acting arbitrarily on his own to change this uh, designation of paroles, uh, mass paroles. Um, yes, mass what, paroles. What other, what uh, other legal actions are coming down the road that uh, Early is involved in? Well, the big one is uh, Kansas and Texas and, uh, and a lot of other states are suing uh, over the the, the the app, the uh, app for Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, mm-hmm. uh, where where you can um, and and because they disagree that the uh, you know they with this illegal use of parole and and it clearly is i mean it's uh you know again it has to be something specific about the person not just that they're from a certain country and um so that uh is has been launched and it's going on now there's another case in the supreme court where the court's considering whether to uh uphold the ninth circuit court of appeals which struck down the anti-harboring law the part of the law that says you can't uh, solicit illegal immigration. You can't encourage people to come here illegally. Uh, the, the Ninth Circuit struck that down, saying it, it applied too much to speeches and things, and uh, you know that are protected by the First Amendment. Wow. And uh, and and what, what what needs to be seen there is that it's never been. It's not only never been used to, to prosecute anything like that, but it's also not. It shouldn't be read to include that. And then it's not. It, then it doesn't have a First Amendment problem. And it's all, uh, you know, activist-driven uh, uh, rulings by by people who don't like uh, uh, laws that restrict illegal immigration. Now, th- these these uh, actions, these these uh, uh, actions that uh, the, these liberals have taken on, uh, they are going to end up pretty much ser- similar to. Um, to DACA, to the Dreamers Act, right? Because, uh, I mean, they act on it, and then there's a legal challenge to it, and then there's there we have to wait until the court sorts through it and then makes a ruling, correct? Uh, sometimes, yes. I mean, uh, speaking of DACA, the, the, uh, Biden reissued DACA, and uh, this time it went through the, the so-called notice and comment process where they, they put it out to the public and the public can comment before it can become a regulation. And, uh, and so that is now being challenged, uh, in, in district court in Texas. And, uh, it's not expected to survive. It's, it's, uh, uh, the court probably will strike it down because it's identical to the last one it struck down. Wow. But, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, DACA is still, still there, uh, because they issued a new one, a duplicate DACA, oh, when the old one was struck down. Yeah. Jeez, that's, and, that's uh, incredible. Yeah. And, um, but, but I believe that this one will be struck down, too. So the Dreamers would be out hanging uh, again. Now, well, but, no more, no, no new Dreamers. I guess no the old Dreamers, dreamers can... Yes. So we still don't know um, about the dreamers that are here. It's just not no more new dreamers. Well, the ones who've already applied and are part of the, you know, they they can continue. The program is uh, not enjoined uh, except prospectively. They can't sign up any new people. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So then, bottom line to this whole situation: um, now that we have a new house, 
do you anticipate any kind of actions that will at least slow down or stop this flow of uh, this tsunami of illegal immigration that we've got going? Not unless the, the, the two parties can agree that uh, they should at least uh, boost enforcement funding and, and build a wall. I mean, rebuild the wall uh, or, or continue its building. And uh, I don't know if they can do that. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's uh, that that would actually help and be necessary. Um, but uh, whether the Democrats would go along with that or or try to try to put in amnesties and so forth to uh, you know poison pills in there, you know, I don't know. Amazing, amazing. Chris, thank you very much for taking some time to be with us today and, and, and explain what's going on to us. Um, we sure. really, really appreciate it. Tell the folks where 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 they can follow you, where they can, uh, and how they can support early immigration reform. Yes, our, our, our website at yes immigration reform law institute. Our our website is our our web address is uh, i r l i dot uh, org. Gotcha. Folks, we've been speaking with uh, the, director of litig- the Director of Litigation for the Immigration Reform Law Institute, Mr. Chris Mayer. Chris, thank you very, very much for taking some time to do this. Sure, George. Thank you very much. Up front. George Lodiguez and Juan Salvador talking to you from San Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got uh, Sheriff Thad Cleveland from Terrell County, Texas. Uh, He has been on our show once before, but I wanted to get him on because he's looking at, he is in a a very uh, unique situation uh, as a sheriff. Let me, let me, Proceed this, Sheriff, by explaining to the folks that Terrell County is on the border. It is over 2,300 square miles, 2,300 square miles, and it has a population of less than a thousand. So that's a lot of territory for you to cover right on the border. Tell us, uh, give us uh, your thoughts, first of all. Um, in, in the, in the uh, State of, of the Union address by President Biden the other day, he barely mentioned the, uh, the, the border crisis, as well as um, he hinted that there might be another amnesty. Uh, based on what you are facing, and I, I want you to tell the folks on what, how, what the situation is like in your county, um, what, are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, what needs to happen? Oh, and by the way, welcome to the show, Sheriff. <laughs> welcome hey, to the show. Hey, Mr. Rodriguez, gracias. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I've always enjoyed our, our talks and discussions. And, and just to give your viewers a little bit of insight about me, yes, um, as you mentioned, I am the Sheriff of Terrell County. I've only been the Sheriff for, for eight months. And uh, prior to that, though, I spent 26 years with the United States Border Patrol. The last 11 years, I was the patrol agent in charge of the Sanderson Station here in, in Terrell County. And uh, and the reason I'm here in Terrell County, or I was as a border patrol agent. This is this is where I grew up. This is where I was raised. Um, this is the community that helped raise me. I was raised by my grandmother here, but so many families showed me so much love and and, and contributed to who I am today. So um, I had no intention on retiring. I was 48 years old. Unfortunately, um, our, our sheriff at the time, Santiago Gonzalez Jr., who was also a border patrol agent 30 years, he passed away. And at that time, I knew it was time for me to, to step up and and uh, you know, take care of my community in a different manner, while still being able to support the United States Border Patrol. So that's why I'm here today. But um, I wanted to mention, you know, I, I missed um, the State of the Union address last night. Um, I, I did have a good friend who was an Air Force classmate of mine, um, basic training classmate that is, and, and he gave me just a little bit of, of information back on it. But the reason I missed it is because uh, we had two groups we were helping Border Patrol out with yesterday, and we had two nine one one calls come in as well. And, uh, unfortunately, both those 911 calls, we were able to get out and, uh, DPS found one group that had called in in distress. And then we passed the other call on to Border Patrol and they were able to go, um, 
rescue a, a single female who was an illegal alien as well. So, so I missed that call. Then I had an alien smuggling load. If you'll go look at the Terrell County Sheriff's Office Facebook or Instagram page, you can see you can see that that specific one. But to, to answer your question about amnesty, you know, um, again, having served in Border Patrol 26 years, and, and and there's always been that talk of amnesty through the years, and, and each time that that is mentioned by a president of the United States of America, it increases the amount of activity crossing our border. People know that when they're going to when they're going to put forth an amnesty package or an amnesty deal that uh, they have to get here by a certain date because Congress will, will say, if you're not here by such and such date, then you're not um, you're not able to, to claim that amnesty or, or, or come in under the amnesty. So people will come in droves if they know that that's something on the horizon. And I must mention, and something that you and I discussed before and you know well, um, border, sec- border security and immigration reform are two separate things. So before there is any type of amnesty, if there ever is again, we have to secure our border first, first and foremost. That way we can we can counter the threat coming across the border, and then we look at, at changing our immigration laws. You know, uh, Sheriff, those of us that, you know, follow the crisis at the border, uh, we are very, very concerned for two things. First of all, we have a spy balloon that floated over uh, the majority of the of the nation, but at the same time, uh, in Del Rio last week or two weeks ago, they arrested a uh, an Iranian who was on the terrorist watch list. Um, I mean, you, you just talk about about how uh, you had some folks that were in distress uh, in your county. I mean, how many of these folks are getting in that we don't even know about? Oh man, you know, and 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 that's a. Uh... Never mind the criminals. Never mind the criminals. I mean, we're talking terrorists and criminals at the same time, right? Yeah. So, so to frame it up a little bit. So, so as you mentioned, Terrell County down here on the border, we're the tenth largest county in the state of Texas. Um, We do have a very dense population out here. You know, like you mentioned, in Sanderson alone, you know, probably less than seven hundred, and then the county maybe another hundred. Very sparsely populated. harshest terrain along the southwest border the most difficult to traverse uh, and i say that because I've, I've not only worked at various parts around along the southwest border with the united states border patrol but also um, i spent a year with the military when when president trump put um, title 10 forces on the border so i was assigned to u.s army north in san antonio and and traveled and visited each border patrol sector but with that being said sanderson is or terrell county and sanderson smack dab in the middle of um, El Paso and San Antonio. We're down on Highway 90. Um, it's four hours to El Paso. It's four hours to San Antonio. We're, we're smack dab in the middle there. Um, historically, between Del Rio and El Paso, the Sanderson Border Patrol, Border Patrol Station has led um, that area with illegal alien apprehensions. Currently, and, and as you mentioned that the letter I wrote to the governor, um, we're the busiest Operation Lone Star station county here in Terrell um, in Region 4, which which um, encompasses El Paso all the way down to Terrell County. So that's um, almost all of, of the Congressional District 23. There's a little bit more down towards South Texas. But to get back to my point is a, a thousand apprehensions typically what we have a year. Um, small drop in the bucket compared to everywhere else along the border, but equally as important. And, and the reason we don't see a, a whole lot of, of, of or we hadn't seen more apprehensions and crossings was because there's not a lot of infrastructure south of us or north of us. But what we have seen in the last two years during this current administration is a significant increase in illegal alien crossings. So from 2020 to 2021, um, again, going from that historical about a thousand in that year in 2020, we had about 1500 Um We jumped up to 5,500 in 2021. So that's almost a 300% increase. And then you compare again, that, that fiscal year 2020 to fiscal year 2022 that we just ended, we had almost a 400% increase. Wow. We have seen substantial amount of illegal aliens crossing our portion of the border. And that's just what we caught. And historically, and I've got all the numbers, I go back and look at the trends. Historically, gotaways are about a thousand more than we apprehended. And as you know, and I know, that's not a solid number we can count on. Um, Just, it's not a solid number. And I want to, I want to try to frame this up. So you look at the Sanderson Border Patrol Station, it's, it's responsible for 91 miles of border with Mexico. It's the third largest amount of border patrolled by a station. Alpine has about 151, Presidio 111, and Sanderson Border Patrol Station with 91. So, and as speaking from the patrol agent charge, the men and women here do a heck of a job, but there's no way any of us can get out and know where people are crossing throughout that entire 91 miles of border. So, 
with with FY22 about 7,500 apprehensions, and I, and I speak in roundabout numbers. Gotaways around 8,000, so you know that's about 15,000. I, I I can speak with confidence that probably about 20,000 people, if not more, crossed through this area. Still not the numbers you see down in Kenny County and other parts of Texas, um, but equally as important. I mean, really, I remember the days when I worked in the Reagan administration that I would uh, go down and, and work with the uh, Border Patrol folks, and uh, people used to run away and hide. Uh, now over in Del Rio, you know, there's hundreds daily, maybe thousands, that introduce themselves to the Border Patrol. You are busy rescuing folks, so while you're busy rescuing folks, I bet that there's others who are sneaking across, correct? <laughs> One hundred percent. So two two points I want to make on that. Um, so when I first day I took office, we had our first deceased of the year. That was May seventeenth. Um, in, in about six months, we had seventeen deaths. Thirteen of those were from heat related injuries, and then the other four were were an accident with a pursuit. Um, of those seventeen deaths, I personally put fifteen in body bags. Um, those are still humans. You know, they're still people. They're, they're like you or me, and I always tell people we're blessed to be born in this country. We truly are. Um, when I'm out there working at night with Border Patrol, um, I often, you know, I, I look at the people we apprehend, and, and I talk to the agents, and I'm like, God, we're blessed to be born here. Um, but we have to protect our sovereignty. And uh, and with that, um, I wanted to mention um, on the uh, the rescues that you talked about, yes, a, a lot of times, so you look at what's going on in Del Rio and what's going on in El Paso and and how those community leaders talk about the stress on their local resources. We'll look at it at a county like Terrell, and uh, you know, with with our seven hundred, eight hundred people in the county, um, two deputies, myself and, and and my partner, that uh, that's also a retired Border Patrol agent. You know, we have two EMS on duty at any time. We have two game wardens and one permanent DPS trooper. But uh, but myself and my partner, we're often called to go go help these rescues or go recover bodies or go help Border Patrol with apprehensions or go pull vehicles over. Um, our EMS are also tapped to go go tend to people that have crossed and have become sick or been hurt. What about the impact on our county? We're much smaller than those other places. We don't have the uh, the money to, uh, to to backfill for for uh, EMS calls for for deputies that are called out. You know, so our county does suffer. Our landowners do suffer. If it wasn't for the governor of Texas, I don't know what shape Terrell County would be in. Um, through the grants that he's provided us, the Operation Lone Star support. Um, with with the brush units that are working hand in hand with Border Patrol daily to the, the Highway Patrol troopers that had helped us take back our roadways. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the letter I wrote to the governor back in November, um, but I asked him for more resources and I asked him for 10 additional black and white troopers to help me work the highways. He gave me that and we took control of our highways and we pushed that traffic back over into to Valverde County. Excellent. Sheriff, before we let you go, what else could you ask for if you had a magic wand or if you... Um, you know, I mean, what what is it that you need at this point? So I want to answer that two ways. First of all, this crisis, this problem is solvable. Um, short-term fix is we need to bring back some sort of consequence or, or just we need to bring consequences for those who are crossing our borders illegally. Right now, there's no consequences, and there hasn't been a consequence since Title 42 was brought forth. I actually was one that said we need to get rid of Title 42 and bring back a consequence. That consequence serves a purpose. When you prosecute someone for crossing our border illegally, it'll get their attention. I know this because you can look at our recidivism numbers have increased tremendously. Um, and, and yes, Border Patrol is still, they're still prosecuting those that are, are dangerous criminals. But if you're just from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador with no criminal history, you're going to be sent back to Mexico where you can try to cross again. We have to bring forth consequences. And for these folks that are seeking amnesty, I'm sorry, not amnesty, for uh, asylum or other political relief, we have to bring back the migrant protection protocol. That was a deterrent in itself. As you know, the majority of these people that are coming that are claiming asylum, they don't qualify for asylum. Right. And on that note, let me mention that uh, I've had eight people come into my county that I couldn't arrest, but I knew they were here for, for smuggling. Five were Cubans, three were Nicaraguans. Um, they were allowed in for asylum purposes since the month of July of 2022. They were already out here trying to smuggle illegal aliens. So we know they're not all good people. They don't all have good intent. So we need to bring back some sort of, sort of a program to remain in Mexico. And, and those that don't don't want to come and know they don't have a chance they won't come the long-term strategy is border security and immigration reform two separate issues must be kept separate but to specifically answer your questions i need more boots on the ground and that was the intent of my letter to the governor um right now that they we have a certain amount of 
DPS assets here in the county, working with the Border Patrol during the day shift. I need that same complement of people at night shift with some of their, their night vision drones that they have or, or drones that are able to uh, operate at night. Um, our, our agents are overwhelmed. Um, we detect a lot more illegal aliens than we can chase. It's just it's a it's a numbers game of manpower. So boots on the ground is what we need. We've got some technology that works. I just need more people to get out here and help us make these apprehensions. Sheriff, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. I know uh, how busy you are, and uh, not to mention how dangerous it can be as well. So uh, please stay safe. Our prayers are with you and your deputies. Thank you so much for, for taking time to be with us. Yes, sir, Mr. Rodriguez, and anytime you need something, don't hesitate to reach out or call. Thank you for what you do and, and for getting the, the message out there. We sure appreciate you. You got it. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Ildefonso uh, Ortiz from Breitbart. He is a reporter with Breitbart, and he just recently wrote a uh, very interesting, well, disturbing in my book, uh, report an article uh, about the Mexican cartel-style violence that has erupted in California in the marijuana growing fields. Now, we knew um, that uh, eventually the, um, the cartels were going to start uh, activities in, in the United States. Well, here it is. And it'll probably get worse. Uh, Alfonso, tell us, tell us about this article that you wrote. What is going on in California? Well, this article sort of centers around this one very gruesome killing that took place last month in, uh, in uh, the county of Tulare in, in California. And pretty much a group of gunmen stormed the house. They killed uh, six individuals, including a 16-year-old woman and her uh, her baby uh, both the woman and the baby were shot in the head and they were left in a ditch wow. so uh, you know as gruesome as it sounds authorities in California were saying there's, there, there's a, there, this is connected to cartels then last week they made some arrests in the case and they, they ended up uh, arresting individuals that are tied to two particular street gangs that are known for working with Mexican drug cartels uh, one of them is uh, the, the Sureños gang, and then the other one is the Nuestra Familia prison gang. And it all ties back to uh, the illicit marijuana growth uh, business in California. Uh, and and, and here, here's why. When you look at the, uh, you know, when people thought that marijuana was going to be, uh, you know, legalization of marijuana was going to be good for California, violence was going to go down. Uh, in reality, it had the opposite effect. What ended up happening is that since marijuana is a federal, still a federal crime, so it, everything turned into a cash business of sorts. Uh, you know, illegal marijuana growers cannot go to banks. Uh, they cannot, you know, do wire transfers and things of that nature. So everything is cash based. So that opened the door for Mexican drug cartels since the legal growers had to kind of develop their own alternate economy of sorts to be able to deal with the profits and everything drug cartels kind of did the same thing now one of the interesting issues is that when we think of California we think of LA Bel Air you know this really nice part of town well developed but on the northern side you have a lot of uh, rural areas widespread rural areas uh, you know beautiful country out there but that's not as densely populated and that is where you're having all these uh, uh, marijuana growing. Some of them are legal, but the majority of them are not because according to California law, if you're caught uh, growing Ill marijuana illegally, it's a misdemeanor, regardless of size. So, you know, the penalty is the same as if you're growing a little plant versus if you're growing this massive, you know, acres upon acres of illegal marijuana, the penalty is the same. So now cartels are growing their own marijuana in these, you know, remote areas in the northern part of the county or, or the state. Sorry. So these uh, these cartels. I mean, I had heard already that um, that there were connections being made between the cartels and particularly the prison gangs 
uh, who uh, are kind of like uh, the the brains for the street gangs. Um, I had already heard, but this is a reality now that's beginning that it's beginning to happen. It's been going on for for, for a while. That you know, uh, because uh, one of the things that they've done over the years is that. Um, Drug cartels, it, it, it takes a lot of resources for a drug cartel to operate openly in an area. Say, for example, you're not likely going to see Jalisco cartel or Sinaloa cartel popping up in Austin or LA and saying, we're here. What's going to happen is when they need something done, they'll, they will restore to their business partners, their distributors, and you know their, 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 their local partners who are going to be uh, gang members, local gang members which actually provides political cover for city officials and government officials because no mayor, no governor wants to say, hey, I have a cartel problem in my town. So these public officials that want to turn their, you know, turn, uh, turn the other way and say, no, we don't have a cartel problem. It was, a, it was gang violence. That is what, you know, this gives them cover because then they can say, well, it was this gang that was fighting with this other gang. When in reality, some of that violence was ordered directly from Mexico, or it was tied to a large-scale drug shipment that you know went missing, and the cartel is demanding money for it or demanding retribution. Local politicians can say, "Oh no, no, no! It's not the you know the Sinaloa cartel. It's not Jalisco cartel. It's it's a local gang." That is what 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 they've done, and it, it helps them to give them cover for this. Now, what what's very interesting is that at the same time that we've got these cartels beginning to make connections in the U.S. We also have a very, very strong anti-police, defund the police, the local police uh, effort. Um, do you think that the two are going to intersect at some point and really create problems for us? Well, the problem's already there. You know, California, sadly, the cost of living is so high. Uh, that, you know, most uh, law enforcement people have a hard time living and staying there. I'm talking about the big cities. Now, because we're talking, and this violence is taking place in the rural areas, which is north of this big city. So, one, the salaries are not that great, but also these areas, they, the, they have uh, very few law enforcement officers for the areas that they have to cover. So, in this, you know, for example, in Tudor County, and some of the other surrounding counties, they don't have enough officers to properly patrol these vast uh, territories. So a lot of times you will have more cartel gunmen in those areas than you actually will have law enforcement. Wow. And actually, that's one of the problems that that uh, police have, have voiced out in those areas. Now, it, it's almost as if you're looking at two different countries, per se. You know, you're looking at the rural California versus the, the suburban California. You know, you're... LA people where they, they, they will have their defunded police and all that stuff in the northern areas you know where you don't have enough cops that's where you see the presence of all these cartel gunmen who are having to guard their growth fields and all this other stuff and all this violence wow where it, it, it's a very concerning situation incredible so uh, we have heard that um, you know there's an effort to try to uh, designate the cartels as uh, terrorist organizations. Do you think if they do that, that that will help this situation, or do we need, you know, something special like a task force from DEA and FBI and et cetera, et cetera, to go after these guys? Well, in the past, there's been numerous task forces, and you, you know, all they've done is they'll arrest the figurehead of the moment, you know, El Chapo and El Chapo's son, and but that really hasn't done anything to diminish all this. Now, the approach of doing them as terrorist groups, if it is done in the proper way, it, it, it's actually that, that's a good answer. And, and here's why. The, the laws, well, the, by designating them as terrorist groups, the pressure is going to be on Mexico and other countries uh, because of this. Um, the laws the, the, for banks when it comes to terrorists, terrorism are very different than they are from money laundering for, uh, money laundering for uh, cartels. So it's going to be more difficult for them to move their funds. Now, the main issue here is that when you look at a cartel, they their power doesn't really come from the number of gunmen and you know uh, 
you know, who the boss is. The power comes from the influence. It comes from how many judges they have working for them in Mexico and in the U.S., how many politicians in Mexico they have working for them to give them cover, uh, you know, how many banks in Mexico are working with them. So this circle of power and influence, that's where they get really their power from. So if you designate them as terrorist groups, Mexico is not able to protect these cartels because then they run the risk of being designated a force, a foreign sponsor of terrorism. So then you open up Mexico to international sanctions, you know, from UN and other countries, similar to what we've seen in, in, a, in the Middle East. So Mexico can then run the risk of protecting them anymore. And then you would actually have some positive change. Wow. Makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> How difficult that is going to be to get through the politics of it is another story. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you see that, that and cause, because they, they tried to do this in the past. You know, you know they passed some bills trying to designate the most violent ones as terrorist groups. But uh, you know, Mexico jumped up, you know, claiming that it was an excuse for invasion. I mean, that's what Mexico's president was saying that it was just U.S. rhetoric to invade Mexico and stuff like that. But in reality. The, it was more of a white collar approach just right. to be able to take away their influence. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and and, and it seems like like uh, the president of Mexico's idea of dealing with them is uh, how does he put it? Hugs, not bullets. Uh, that, that is correct. I mean, if you look at it like uh, three years ago, when they actually captured the son of El Chapo, he turned around and released him to avoid violence. And that was something that he had to basically walk back three years later by actually having to arrest them. And there was some violence, but guess what? It wasn't as bad as they, they, they thought it was going to be. Yep. Incredible. Idolfonso, thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. Tell the folks where they can follow you and where they can read more of your articles. Well, the, the work of myself and also our team in, in Breitbart, Texas, uh, if you go to Breitbart, uh, you click on the World tab, and then you click on Border and Cartel Chronicles. That's where you can read the stuff that uh, not only myself, but our team that's in, you know on the border, and our team that's in Mexico also. Some of the stuff that, that they publish. I mean, some of our writers they have to the ones in Mexico have to use pseudonyms because of where they live, and you know, uh, for their safety because they, they become target because some of the information that we publish. That's incredible. That is really really scary. Idolfonso, thank you very, very much. We've been speaking with our good friend Idolfonso Ortiz from uh, from Breitbart. Thank you very, very much, and stay safe on the border, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.